So to catch you up in Philippians chapter 2, we're in this series called uh, The Joy Set. Uh, often here at Vertical Life Church, we like to tackle subjects through the Bible, uh, we, and we develop these into sermon series. There's often a theme, but sometimes we like to just go through a whole book of the Bible and find out what is this whole book about? What, what is God telling us and revealing us through the book of Philippians, and so, uh, or through the book we're studying, and we're studying now in the book of Philippians, and that's in the New Testament. And to, to kind of set the stage again, because we had some time off, uh, this book was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. This was his last stop uh, on his way, really, to his final destination where he would meet his end. He would ultimately be martyred for his faith in a Roman prison. And I heard on the radio this past week, there's actually a movie out called uh, Paul of Tarsus, this kind of about this same uh, subject. Matter of fact, the, uh, one of the characters in it played Jesus in the Passion. So it uh, kind of gives you a connection there. Uh, but this is essentially the time frame. He's in jail. He's in prison. Uh, he's getting ready to stand trial, ultimately uh, facing a certain death. And he writes this book to this group of Christians in this city called Philippi. And really the theme of this book is joy which is kind of weird because why would you be feeling joy in prison getting ready to die for your faith? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't kind of equate or compute to our minds. But this, nonetheless, is the theme of what he uh, was writing. He was encouraging this church not just to experience joy, but to have a mindset of joy or a joy set that they would experience God's joy in every circumstance, through every trial. So he's writing to them to reveal how you can experience joy, to encourage uh, them to pursue the Lord and to find the reasons why they can have joy. And two weeks ago, we talked about the mindset of even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was one of humility and sacrifice, putting other people's needs before their own. And, and we saw that as we sacrifice our selfish desires, living for ourselves, and we humble ourselves before God, that at the right time, God will lift us up in honor. And we'll often find that we'll have the blessings that we were trying to seek or acquire on our own. But God will be the one to provide the blessings. And it won't be a short-lived honor something that we fight for for just a moment, it will be an everlasting glory filled with riches and blessings, a reward that can never be corrupted or stolen away, especially in heaven. And so now we're in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, If you don't have a, a... thick Bible like this with you that sometimes accumulates dust, then you can navigate on your phone. Uh, some great Bible apps. Version Bible app is a great um, Bible app. I use that weekly. And uh, listen, just listen to the Word of God. There's audio Bibles and stuff on there where you can just listen to God's Word. Uh, you can navigate there as well as the Scriptures will be on the screen. But we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse, verses 12 through 13. And here is what the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Let's pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, God, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for chasing us with that reckless love. Thank you for giving us 
a path to be saved, to be forgiven. Thank you for calling us out and bringing us into a community of faith, into a family where we can encourage each other on this journey to know you, to honor you, and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place. Let your weight just fall on everyone here. Open our eyes and open our ears. God, give us a willing mind to receive, a willing heart to understand, and a faith that will take a step so that we can honor you more with our lives and see your will done and see your love just overflow out of this place, to see hearts and lives changed. God, I pray for the one that is struggling with depression right now, a person that walked in this place and is just feeling down, is feeling discouraged. God, I pray they would experience your joy right now in the name of Jesus. For the wanderer, the one that has come in just not even knowing if, if you really love them, God, I pray that your love would wash over them and they would recognize that, God, your, your intentions towards them have never changed. They've always been good and that you desire a relationship with them. And that before they leave here, God, that they would know that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven, that they have a relationship with their heavenly father, that they're a child of God. I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're just going to kind of break down uh, this passage of Scripture to see what the Apostle Paul is communicating to us in in view of experiencing joy. And and right here, beginning in verse 12, he starts off with uh, an interesting instruction. He says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, but now that I'm away, it's even more important So you always obeyed. When I was with you, hanging out with you, teaching you, instructing you, you were always obedient. Everything that you did was was right on par. You never never slacked off or anything. But when now that I'm away, it's even more important that you obey. And as I'm studying this, I have to ask, isn't it the tendency for us that the fervor, the motivation... The, the, the motivation that we have to do what's right, like when we're on the job, we're at work. You know, when the boss is there, when the boss is looming around the kiosk or the desk or, or your cubicle, when, when the boss is around, isn't it the tendency that we're a little bit more on our toes, that we're kind of looking over our shoulder to make sure we're doing everything right? Right? No one likes a boss who breathes down their neck or we don't like to feel like we have to walk in eggshells or else we're going to get in trouble. But, but there's, this, there's this sense of it's almost like driving down the highway and you see a cop car. Even if you're not speeding, you kind of tap the brake a little bit, right? Well, when you know that the authority is there, it kind of creates a, a kind of a tension or an anxiety there to make sure you're on your P's and Q's, doing everything that you know you're supposed to do. But when the boss leaves the office, the environment changes a little bit. Right? It's that whole, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. We kind of relax a little bit. It's easier to kind of coast and breathe and just not be so stressed out, not so uh, worry so much. But what often comes with that, that, that breather also comes with a relaxation that causes kind of a reduction in productivity. It causes us to kind of go at a slower pace and maybe even begin to horse around a little more. Or back when I was working retail, we would hold up the counters and have conversation. 
you know, that it seems to be the natural tendency that when we don't have that accountability looming, that, that we begin to relax and that productivity begins to wane. And I have to be honest, there may have been a time or two when I was working in a warehouse that we may or may not have had chair races across the floor. You know, uh, trying to see how fast we we could go on four wheels, but uh, just sometimes this this is the case. You begin to relax because there's no one around to get you in trouble until they invented cameras, and then you had to be strategic on how you horsed around. But it's one thing to be obedient with accountability. It's a completely different thing to be obedient without accountability. It's one thing to be obedient with accountability. It is a separate thing to be obedient without accountability. It's kind of like church people, right? We're in church. There's some church people here. We could probably relate with this. How many people do you know who wouldn't dare say a cuss word in the church? But the moment you leave the doors and somebody comes out and cuts you off, the first Word that comes to your mind has no more than four letters. And maybe comes out and you produce sound that we wouldn't really want to have anyone else hear. Right? This is kind of what happens. When we're in the church, we're like, oh, you can't say that. You're in the church. But when we leave, oh, it's okay to say. Or you can't wear that because you're in the church. But when you leave and you're going to the club and you know so-and-so is going to be there, then it's okay to wear. That there's a, some kind of an understanding with church people that when you're in the church, certain behaviors are not okay, but when we're out in the world, they somehow become okay. You know, we say things like, don't lie, because you're in the church. Or we make sure to, to bring our Bible, because we're in the church, and there are other church people around, but the rest of the week, we don't even dare touch it or pick it up. We kind of act like or assume that this is the only place where there is some accountability. Because when we're here, we're accountable. We're on our, on our toes. We display per the perfection of the Christian life when we're together. But when we leave this place, it is something altogether different. And Paul is saying here to this church of Philippi, it's not just important to appear obedient when I'm with you. When there's accountability... When people can see you, it is vitally important for you and your faith journey to be obedient when I'm not with you or when your accountability is nowhere around. And the reason why it's vitally important is because when no one else is around, that is the time your character is tested. That's the time your integrity is tested. That is time when your character, uh, what you're made of, begins to show. That is the time that your enemy, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour, that is when he is going to begin looking for weaknesses in your defenses. That, and that is the time when most of us will fail. That's the time when I fail, when no one else is looking. You see, it's easy to eat according to my diet plan when everyone else is looking and they're talking about, oh man, you're, you've got so much willpower and I, I could never eat like that. Man, how do you do that? You know, it's, it's so easy when people are around and they know you're on a diet to kind of keep you accountable. But when no one is home and all the Easter candy is left across the table and I'm staring at it every time I walk to and from the kitchen, that is a completely different story. But why is it so easy to fail when no one is around? Well, the reality is it's because we feel like no one is watching. No one is going to find out. 
You know, it's a sad but true fact. If you're on a diet and you're cheating, it's going to show. It's going to show. Yeah, I've been on a diet for three years. Oh, yeah? How much weight have you lost? Oh, about three ounces. <laughs> That's showing. You're not really on the diet. But I think we often forget that God is always with us. He is always with us. You know, he says in his word, he will never leave us or forsake us. Even if we're not aware of God, God is with us. We don't just enter the presence of God when we gather together as a church. We are always in God's presence. And I think we get the idea, and I'm going to throw some terms out to you. We get this idea of the manifest presence of God and the omnipresence of God confused. There's a manifest presence and there's an omnipresence. God's presence is not just here when I can feel him or I hear him speak or I get the goose pimples when I'm worshiping and I know that something's going on. There's, that's not just when God's presence is here. That's manifest presence. That's when God is manifesting in my reality or in my life. When I'm praying and, and I know God is with me, that is his manifest presence or his glory. His omnipresence is continual. It's all around. It is everywhere, all at once, and it never ceases. When you were at home this morning, God was there. And God was here even before you arrived. God was in the car before you entered it. God was on the road before you drove on it. God is going to be at the restaurant before you arrive there, and he's going to be with you at the same time before you arrive. God is always around, always with us, everywhere. The psalmist in Psalm 139, 7 through 10, he says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So even though I feel like nobody is watching or God's not watching, or that, that I'm getting away with something in the moment, with a moment of unfaithfulness. Or that what I'm doing really doesn't matter because no one sees me and I'm not hurting anyone else. It's just affecting me. No one else is going to be aware of what's happening. Though I may feel like that, the Bible says God is with you. God sees you. I read another story this week about a painter who... Uh, got tired of losing money, uh, miscalculating uh, how much paint he was going to use to paint buildings. And so uh, he decided that he would start just painting churches because he knew that they would, they would be a little bit more easy to trick. And so what he decided to do was that he decided to thin his paint with water so that he would use less resources, but he would charge them the same amount for the paint that he used. And, and so he began to, to implement this practice, and he, he was doing quite well for himself. He painted some churches, used you know, way less material, and charged them for the same amount of money. And he thinned the paint, and he made a larger profit. But one day, as he was painting a church... There, out of nowhere came clouds and a torrential rain, lightning and the whole nine yards, and it washed away everything that he had just done. He worked all day painting this paint, and uh, the rain washed everything off. 
Then as quickly as the rain came, it, it dissipated. The clouds you know, went away, and the sun began to shine, and the painter was kind of confused. He was like, well, that was weird. That was out of nowhere, and it just wrecked everything that I was doing. So he looked up to the sky, and, and, and he was like, God, what, what was that? And he heard a voice from heaven, and he said, this command I give unto you, repaint and go and thin no more. Repaint and thin no more. So even if we think we're getting away with something, no one else knows. There's no trail or trace. God sees. God knows. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. God sees it all. There's no fooling God. There's no rug you can pull over God's head. What happens when the cat's away will always be found out in the end. But even though God sees and God is watching, we have to understand that God's intentions toward you are good and they're kind. When he thinks of you, he thinks good thoughts. He, he has kindness for you. And his will for you, each of us, is that we would have an abundant and blessed life. That in this life, no matter what we face or experience, his will is that we would experience his love and joy to the full, to the maximum. That's God's will for you. That's God's desire for you. And what happens when we start taking God for granted and we start giving in to our fleshly desires, and we start listening to the devil's voice on our shoulders that's whispering, hey, you know, you don't have to worry so much about that or you don't have to do that anymore. Look, you know, no one's around. Do, do what you want. Make yourself feel good. We start listening to the devil's voice. We start to begin to live outside of the boundaries that God has set up for us that will lead us to that abundant and that full life. And so when we begin listening to that voice, we begin opening opportunities for the destroyer to come and mess with stuff in our lives, to mess our lives up. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's only intention for you is to lead you down a path that is going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin the very thing you hope to experience, and that is joy. That's joy. So rather than relaxing when you think the boss is gone or giving in when you think God is not watching or rather than playing away when the cat is uh, away, playing when the cat is away, Paul says to work hard, verse 12, Philippians chapter 2, he says to work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Another translation says to work out your own salvation with fear in trembling. Paul's saying, look, don't just obey like I'm there. Obey when I'm not. Work hard. Maintain. Persevere. Endure. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Don't get lax. Don't make concessions. Don't give up the very basic disciplines you know that are there for your good. Don't forget the very purpose for which you were saved, why Jesus came and gave his life for you. It's to call you out for a purpose. We all have work to do. There's something God intends for all of us to accomplish. I heard a pastor once say that God has prepared you for a prepared people. There are people that God has intended for you to minister to, for you to touch so that their lives can be transformed with the gospel. Paul is encouraging the church, work hard. Don't get lax. Don't give up before eternity or the Lord's return. Work hard 
to show the results of your salvation and do that work in honor and reverence for God. It is an act of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Everything we do for the Lord, everything we do in our relationship with God is an act of worship. But what happens when we start to relax or get lax and we start letting our spiritual disciplines slide is we begin to get disconnected from the body of Christ. We begin to isolate and our faith begins to waver and wane. The strength that we once had begins to diminish. Our hope that we were holding on to begins to falter and the joy that we experience begins to subside because we've gotten lax. And in those moments when we've kind of pulled away and and we've gotten lax and we're starting to feel the negative weight and the struggle hit us, we then begin to search out every mean we can to find the fulfillment that we are desiring, the fulfillment that we can only find in Jesus Christ. But what we turn to does nothing but leave us empty and broken. And we continue those cycles of dysfunction until our lives become such a mess that we have no choice but to get on our knees and cry out to God and say, oh God, what have I done? I need you. Rescue me from these circumstances. The very circumstances that could have been avoided if we had continued to work hard to show the results of our salvation. God's will for us is to have an abundant life. And everything he encourages us to do, everything he sets forth in his word for us is to lead us there. Like confessing our sins one to another and praying for each other that we might be healed. Like getting together for worship, for studying the word of God, through serving each other through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Encouraging each other, supporting each other, uh, making alone time with God on a daily basis to renew our minds and our hearts, making that a priority. So as we turn away from sin, we can learn to walk even in greater ways in his truth. This is serving our communities together through acts of love and generosity, knowing that our relationship with God's not just for us, it's for us to shine in the world. And so there are those that we need to serve in our community. These are the very things that need to be on the forefront of the minds and hearts of every citizen of heaven, every child of God, every disciple of Christ, because these are the daily habits that should be normal in our lives. We come together, we're united through the Holy Spirit to do these things, which brings about the joy of our salvation. But you know, none of us are perfect people. I'm not perfect. Which is why I'm so glad that the love of the Lord endures. Amen? His mercy is new every morning. That his patience is long-suffering. If God had a quick temper, I'd be dead a long time ago. I'm thankful for the long-suffering of the Lord. I'm thankful that even in our wandering, when, when we just get to the point where we're maxed out, we just start letting things go and, and sliding back. Even in our wandering, he is ready and waiting for us to return back to him. Just like the story of the lost son, 
the lost son, essentially. And before he was lost, he was a rich uh, heir to an estate. And he goes to his father. He only had one other brother. He goes to his father and he says, Father, I basically hate you. I think you're no good to me other than dead. So please give me my inheritance that I would get when you die. And I'm going to go live my own life. And his father granted him his wish. He sold the piece of property that would have been his at the point of his death, gave him the money, and the son took off. He went into the city, and he began to live and indulge in everything that this world had to offer. The Bible says he indulged in riotous living, wild parties. He, he was at the club. He was gambling. He was drinking it up, smoking it up, sexing it up. Everything that this world has to offer, he was doing it until he became broke and became a joke, and everyone left him. And he found himself slopping pigs and groveling just to eat what they had in the trough. And finally, the Bible says he came to his senses and he says, you know, the servants of my father's house eat better than this. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to grovel and I'm going to say, you know what? I mistreated you. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just make me your servant and I'll serve you for the rest of my days. And so he gathered himself up in the stench and in the filth and the rags that he was wearing on his back. And he began to walk his way back to his father. And the word of God says that the father saw him from afar off. That as the sun crowned over the hill, he could barely get a glimpse. The father saw him because the father was waiting. The father was watching. The father knew one day he's going to come back. One day he's going to come to his senses and he's going to come back. And the father was, had his gaze fixed on the horizon and he was watching for his son. And the moment he saw an image of what could be his son, the father took off faster than the fastest athlete. He met his son. He grabbed his son. He kissed his son in filth and all. And he said, my son who has lost has been found. My son who has been dead is now raised to life again. He called for his servants to bring a robe and a ring and he elevated his son back to the very place he was when he had come afar off and I love this story because our God our father is doing the same thing for, for us when we wander and we, we kind of get away from God and get away from our faith and we forget about God and even act as if God is dead and live our lives the way we want when we end up realizing that the source of our brokenness is really our own decisions and we decide to come back to God, we don't have to go very far because God is running for us. He is recklessly running with abandon to grab us up and say, my child who was dead is now alive. The son or daughter who is lost is now found. It is never too late to turn back to God. You are never too far. There's a song on the radio right now that says, you're never too far gone to come back to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is waiting for you. And if that's you here today, you've drifted and you've gone away. You're maybe you've stepped away from your faith. You need to know that the God of heaven, your heavenly father, his eyes are fixed on the horizon. He's waiting for you to make that turn. He's ready to bear you up on the wings of eagles, to renew your strength in this place. I'm glad it's never too late to turn back to the Lord. You see, everything in this life that we do as followers of Christ, as Christians, everything we do as a church, even the little things like going to a life group, like my wife shared a powerful testimony. She shared about uh, her life group and learning, doing Bible studies, the things we gather for worship. Some of this stuff can seem routine sometimes. 
It can seem mundane. It can seem like, oh man, I could probably do without that today. But everything we do is an act of worship unto the Lord. And what worship does is it draws us close to the Lord. The thing about worship is that worship is not for God. I know some people have this misunderstanding. I know there's a, a popular argument from, from those that reject the faith. They say, you know, why would I want to believe in a God who demands people to worship him? Isn't that kind of arrogant and conceited? Why, why would I want to serve a God that, that makes me worship him, that demands my worship? But see, worship is not for God. God cannot get any greater than what he already is. God cannot get any bigger or more glorious. If the whole worship, the whole world at one time worshiped God at once, he would not be any more glorious than he is even now. Jesus is not going to get any greater. His name is the name that's above every other name. There is no name under heaven whereby we can be saved. There is nothing greater that God could aspire to. He is the definition of greatness. We can't even define this. Worship is not for him. He is worthy, but it is not for him. He's, he's good all by himself. Worship is for us. It's for you and me. Because the more we press in in our worship, the closer we get to his manifest presence. God is always with us. But the more we worship, the more we lean in, the closer we get to his manifest presence. James 4.8, James says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We're in this tug of war match between the world and God and the world is constantly trying to pull us away from God. But God says, if you just lean in, if you just lean into me, you continue to press in to me, you're going to see something happen in your life. See, the more we indulge in the world, the further we get from his manifest presence. But the more we indulge in God, the more we're overwhelmed by his presence. And the more of his presence we experience, the more joy we're going to have in our life. Psalm 16, verse 11. The psalmist says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There is great pleasure in living in his presence. And this is God's will for you, for you. His will is that you would be most satisfied in him because he is the source of true satisfaction. So he desires you to be satisfied by finding your delight in the Lord. But that doesn't just take, happen. It takes effort. It takes work to lean in to the Lord. You know, sometimes it can feel impossible to honor God with your life. My wife and I were talking about this this week. Uh, sometimes we can think about all the expectations we have as, as Christians and in our relationship with God and being part of a church. And sometimes... It can be a lot. It can feel like there's a lot of responsibility or expectation as a Christian. And if we focus on the magnitude of, of everything that's expected or everything the Bible is teaching us, and we view that in light of our failures and our weaknesses, it can at times feel discouraging. It can feel discouraging. Be like, man, how am I ever going to aspire to that? How am I ever going to rise up to that? But what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2, and it's our key verse, it's so important for us to, to know this today. Uh, because I believe here, I believe there are some people here today that know in their hearts, they believe that they need to do better. 
with their relationship with God. They know they've been away. They need to pursue. They need to lean in. They need to do better. But there's also a fundamental belief in their life that says they can never get better. They know they need to do better, but they don't believe they can ever be better, or at least they can never be like those people over there that seem to have it all together. That there's this state of goodness in the church world or in Christianity that they'll just never reach because of the failures and mistakes in their life. And so that they put these people in a category and they put themselves in a category over here and say, you know, I know I need to do that, but I just don't think I could ever do that. And I believe that's a lie. But Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, something significant that you need to capture in your heart today. He says this. He says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire. The first thing we need to see here is that the, that desire to lean into God, that desire to do better, to grow closer, that doesn't come from you. That that's not your desire. It's from God. Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, There is no one righteous, no, not, no, not one. No one even seeks after God. That, that there's a fallenness in our sinful nature that prevents us from desiring to pursue God. So that desire that you have is not from you. That is from the Father. God has given you that desire, that desire to pursue him. But it isn't just the desire he gives you. He also gives you, Philippians 2.13, he says he gives you the power to do what pleases him. Somebody say power today. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I'm throwing a hallelujah out for that one. In my weakness, I'm a failure, but in God's strength, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He gives you the desire and the power. You see, the thing about power, though, is that power, God's power, is a thing of faith. Power doesn't just happen. It is activated by your faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. James says, faith without works is useless. It's faith without action, without something coming of that faith is just a lot of talk. And so when we look at the word power, we have to understand that it's not just going to happen. We can't just talk about God's power and expect to experience it. Something has to accompany that. It's not just a desire. It is a faith that is activated for God's power to be able to be unleashed in your life. The Christian life is not just talk. It's not just good ideas and concepts and stories that we tell kids. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go a little rabbit trail here. Have you ever noticed that the Bible stories, the the baby Bible stories kind of scrub the scripture and don't really tell the full story? I mean, how horrible would it be for us to tell the story of David and Goliath? It's not enough that he knocked him out with a rock. What about the part where he took his sword out and cuts his head off and runs around and chases everybody out of town with it? And that's not really a good Bible story. But the, this is a, the, you know, things in the scripture that, that we see. We kind of scrub down the Bible and we only look at the parts that, that are, are comfortable. And, and it's like reading a child's Bible story. We have to recognize that the truth of God's word is it's not just stories. It's not just things that make us feel good. There is a life to be lived here. There is a power to experience. And it comes when we launch our faith in according to God's promises. 
When acting on the promises of God by faith, it activates his power in our lives, the power to do the very thing we feel incapable of doing. I can't tell you how much that what's happening right now, five years ago, I said was impossible because I was not strong enough. I was not powerful enough. There was not enough in me to be able to organize or or see things out. But you know what? I didn't have to do it. God did it. Because all we had to do is say, God, we're yours. And we had a team of people that said, God, we're yours. And we began walking through this thing together. And through the faith that we uh, stepped out and said, God, we're going to see Vertical Life Church happen and we're going to trust you to do it. You know what? He did it. And we're all here because of that. We don't have to assume responsibility or expect to have everything we need to do what God accomplishes. He gives us the desire to do it, and he gives us the power to do it. With man, everything is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God in you is what makes the impossible possible as you walk in faith through his power. We're all on a spiritual journey together a journey that is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit to become all God wants us to be and to accomplish everything he has set before us, to run our race well. We are not in this alone. We're not just left alone to figure this out. It is a partnership. God leads, we follow. God leads and we follow. But many of us are looking for God's power in our lives In your life, you're looking for God's power, but the problem is not a lack of power. The problem is, is that you're not following. We're at the talking stage where we talk about the concepts. Yes, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. Yes, gather for worship. Yes, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. But there's no action behind it. There's no following behind it. And so there's no power to be displayed in our lives. The problem is not a lack of power. The problem is we're not following. You see, just like God is watching for the lost son, God is ready to move mountains. He's just waiting for us to start the climb. He's ready for us to stop talking about it and start doing something about it. This is a partnership between God, the Holy Spirit, and us. But it's not just a personal partnership. It's also a corporate partnership with everyone in the church. God has united us together as a church to encourage one another in pursuing God, living spirit-filled and empowered lives to accomplish his will in the world, not just here in Clio, but to help the church at large accomplish the mission across the world. This is why the church matters. This is why you can't live a successful Christian life by yourself at home watching uh, you know, TBN on Sundays. That You are needing the body of Christ. You need the gifts that they have to encourage you and be all you can be. And they need your gift to be encouraged and to be all they can be. Your gifts matter. Your generosity matters. Your commitment and your involvement and your service matters. It's a partnership personally. It's a partnership corporately. And we as believers of Christ, we need to have a greater vision than just what our own personal faith journey can allow. We are not on a solo mission. This is a community effort. And as Paul is finishing up his his statement here in Philippians chapter 2, he kind of summarizes with some encouraging words to the church here in verses 14 through 18. And he says this. He says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. 
so that no one can criticize you. Live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Here he's meaning like on the day when Christ returns, I will see that everything I did to encourage your faith will be rewarded because you stayed steadfast. You didn't fall away. You maintained the course. You stayed the course. He's saying, I'm going to experience joy on that day because all my efforts, if you hold fast, all my efforts are going to pay off. I'm going to see the, the, the harvest that's going to come because of my effort. In verse 17, he says, but if I rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. You see, we are more than just adherence to a religious system. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world, beacons of hope to those lost in darkness. And Paul knew how much seed, spiritual seed, he sowed into this church. He knew what joy he was going to experience seeing those seeds blossom and mature and grow as they grew in their faith and in their service and faith to the Lord. And so he's encouraging this church to also understand that they too can experience the very same joy because they too will be able to see the fruit of their labors come to pass when they meet the Lord or in the day when the Christ comes. He'll be able to see the full manifestation of every seed they sowed, every service that they offered, every volunteer position, every tithe they gave, everything that they've done, every time they spent with God, uh, encouraging other believers in a Bible study or a life group or at home on their face before God, praying, praying and fasting for God to move in their life. Everything they do, they're going to see the results of that when the Lord returns. And he's encouraging them to hang on and to understand there is a joy coming that you don't understand. And you can experience this joy too if you hold on. But Paul, I also believe, wants us to experience as much joy in this life as we can. And that joy comes not only in leaning in and serving the Lord and experiencing his joy personally, but that joy is increased by seeing how our lives help others to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. And two, seeing them grow up to become agents of hope in the world for Jesus Christ. I just think, how awesome was it to see those come forward last week and be baptized? And what joy was experienced in all who had a part of making that possible? Everything from the volunteers setting up for the service to the family and friends that have been praying for and speaking hope and life into those that made the decision. And even us who just... We're surprised that this was even going to happen, and we just got to stand by and watch people make decisions as, as it unfolded before the eyes of the church. There was joy to be experienced because we're a part of what's happening here at Vertical Life Church. And that is just a small taste of what God wants us to experience here in this life. There's so much more, so much more, more joy that we can experience as we faithfully follow his plan for our lives, as we persevere faithfully accomplishing the work he has left for us to do. And see, God has not left us empty-handed. God has not left us to fend for ourselves. He is giving us the desire, and he's giving us the power to do everything he accomplished, to be all that he desires for us to be. 
We just have to step out in faith and remain faithful in our obedience. Oh, what joy is to come as heaven comes to earth and as the Spirit of God fills this community, changing hearts and lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, some of you are here today and you're praying for joy. You've been experiencing a rough go. You've had some circumstances in your life that have just caused some major difficulty and you're crying out for joy. You need some joy in your life. But you know, I bet if you were honest, you would admit that you really haven't been leaning into God. Your prayer life, your time in the word is severely lacking. And chances are that you've You've spent some time away really from what you know you should be doing and how you should be pursuing and you've been caught up and now even to the point that you're in a stronghold of anxiety just thinking about spending time with God. It seems like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can break away. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can physically do it now because I've spent so much time away from God. There's a stronghold there. You've been cut off from the source of true joy because honestly, you've let yourself be cut off through becoming lax in your walk with God and not working hard to show the results of your salvation. Some of you here today, maybe you have a personal time with God. You spend time in his word and and praying, but you're missing out on the joy that's available through being hands-on in the ministry with other believers, maybe by getting together in a life group or serving in one of our serving opportunities or being a part of the life of the church where you're able to build relationships and get connected. You're missing out on that because you've allowed yourself to stay isolated and disconnected. You know, there's someone here today that might be here because you don't have a relationship with God. There's never been a time in your life where you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and and had your sins forgiven. You're still wearing that guilt and shame. And so the joy that you're missing is ultimately becoming because you're under the guilt and shame that Christ gave his life for so that his blood could wash that away. You could become white as snow and reestablished with God to experience his joy through beginning a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever the case is, in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of response. And I'm going to ask you to take that bold step. You want to experience the power of God in your life, then it's time to take a step. No more talk. It's time to act. It's time to make a decision. It's time to move forward. It's time to work hard. It's time to work hard and go through and lean in to experience what God has for you today. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment as we go into a time of response. If you're here today and you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're wearing that guilt and shame. And honestly, if you were to die today, you couldn't answer whether or not you would go to heaven or not. You just don't know. You look at your life and you're like, well, I try to be a good person, but I don't really know if I'd make it. I don't, I don't know if God even loves me. I'm just here because I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it's true. If that's you here today, I'm going to invite you to pray 
with me to invite Christ in your life, to be your Lord and Savior, to receive the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be uh, established with your Father as a son or daughter of the Most High God, that you can have your sins washed away. You can be transformed. The Bible says that when you're born again by trusting in Christ, you become a new creature. You're not what you once were. You become something altogether new in Jesus Christ. And right now, where you are, you can begin that transformation process by calling out to the Lord. Bible says that if you trust Christ, that he died and rose for you, if you believe that and you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And I'm going to invite you to make that decision right now, right where you are, right now, just where you are. You can pray this prayer with me. Pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and I know Jesus died for me. Please forgive me. I commit my life today to follow you. I believe Jesus died and rose again so that I could be saved. And I receive his gift now. Fill me with your spirit. For today, I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer today, if you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to encourage you by praying for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed that today. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just thank you for those that raised their hand today. I thank you, God, that your spirit was working in their heart. I thank you right now that their sins are forgiven, that their sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. God, you said you remember their sins no more, that they are new, that they are justified, that they are loved, God, that they are a son or a daughter of the most high God, that they are transformed in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for the work. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the new sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ that have made that confession today. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. And I just pray, God, you'd help us to continue to encourage them in their spiritual journey, that you would encourage them to get connected, that they could experience that joy that you have waiting for them as a part of the church of Jesus Christ. We just thank you so much. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're getting ready to stand and sing. In just a moment, when we stand, I'm going to invite you, whatever has been going on in your life, if you've become lax, if you've allowed your relationship with Christ to slide and you've not been leaning in, I'm going to invite you to take a step. Come down and throw yourself on the altar and ask God for forgiveness for the things you've been taking for granted and ask him to empower your faith to help you lean in, to draw close, that his power would begin to work mightily, chipping off the heart of your heart, the giving you strength to the area in your life that's been weak, and to rekindle the joy that is only found in His presence. If you've uh, or have other uh, issues in your heart that you need prayer for, maybe you're struggling with a health issue and you'd like healing. Right now, we trust God that when the church prays in the name of Jesus through the blood of Christ, there can be healing today. Maybe it's physical healing, maybe it's emotional healing, maybe uh, you're just struggling and you need uh, God to come and do a work in your life. I'm going to be down here in front and we're going to be available to pray with you. We're just going to spend time uh, just encountering the presence of God and responding to what he has for us today. Maybe you need to take a step and you need to come and you need to spend some time in prayer and, and observe the Lord's Supper. Come down and get a cup of wine or juice. 
grab a piece of bread. Thank the Lord for his death, for his broken body that was broken for you for the remission of sins. Thank him for his resurrection. And as you drink the juice and eat the bread, just praise God in that moment. Just offer praise to God and thank him for forgiveness. Thank him for washing you clean. Thank you for the blood of Christ that's been given for your healing, for your restoration and your renewal. Whatever the case is, don't stay in your seat. Respond. Respond. The power is found in faith. And sometimes it just takes a step in order for that power to be unleashed in your life. On the count of three, we're going to stand and we're going to respond in the count of three. One, two, three. Let's all stand. Come on. Peace. Bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me. Let it break.